So it's day two of the Republican National Convention here in Cleveland, Ohio. I am Evan McMorris-Santoro. This is No One Knows Anything, another of our convention episodes. And today we're going to talk about the future of the Republican Party. And with me, as always, Meg Kramer, the producer of No One Knows Anything. Hello, Meg. Hi. Yeah, I'm always here. I'm just usually not on the microphone. But today you are because you've done a lot of reporting for the episode that we have made today. That episode is about Republican Party unity and the party of tomorrow. A huge part of what's happening in Cleveland is obviously about Donald Trump. Oh, yeah. This is the Donald Trump show. But the other big part about this convention is what is the Republican Party going to be during Trump, after Trump, in the future? No one really knows what the Republican Party is going to be right now. There are competing factions all over the place. Some people want the party to be more moderate in social issues. Some want it to be more conservative. Some want it to be more embracing of things like free trade. Uh, some, some want it to reject that kind of stuff. Some, and, and so all that is happening here in Cleveland as well. And all of the delegates here are the people who care the most about that. These are the people who are super involved in the party at the state and local level. And this is like the one chance that they get to all come together and have these conversations. The debate was most explicitly clear last week when the party met to do its platform committee vote. What this really is, is a conversation among delegates from the Republican Party about what the Republican Party should ideally stand for. It's symbolic. It's totally symbolic. But sometimes things that are symbolic can also be important. They can be symbolic of other things, right? Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and in the case of this platform committee, we talked about this on a, on, a, on a previous episode, there was a pitched battle inside the committee about whether or not to make the Republican Party platform more inclusive of LGBT Americans. And the person who brought that to the platform committee was this delegate named Rachel Hoff. She's the first openly gay delegate on the platform committee. And she made a pretty emotional statement during the meeting about whether or not LGBT Americans would be recognized as victims of the attacks in Orlando. We talked to people on all sides of this conversation, people who think that the party should be heading towards a more conservative direction, people who think that it shouldn't be. But we thought the first person to talk to would be Rachel Hoff herself. So we interviewed her right here in downtown Cleveland. One of the things that's happening in the party right now in this cycle, right, is there seems to be a battle really between differing ideas of what the Republican Party is. There are people who are very excited about this idea of this populist Donald Trump candidacy. Obviously, there's, there's a battle between as you're talking about people who want the party to moderate, maybe would be the word that I would use on some of this social issue stuff, and those who are really excited about the party becoming more conservative, like sort of Ted Cruz type people that want the party to be more conservative on social issues. Why do you think that your vision for this, of a party that's more inclusive on social issues, why is that so important, do you think? If we want to appeal to young Americans, if we want to appeal to the, the growing number of Americans that are that are supporting LGBT rights, um, we've simply got to soften our language. Now you used a word that I actually wouldn't use to characterize what, what 
I and some of my, my colleagues were trying to do, which is moderate. And I think it's, um, that sounds a lot like the word moderate, and, and that's a way that we get characterized a lot by our by our opponents with our, within our own party on this. Are you issue. not a moderate? What do you what do you call yourself? I call myself a conservative. You're a conservative. I, I stand for for freedom, for individual liberty, for equality and justice, and, and limited government, and, and those are the fundamental conservative principles of the Republican Party. Obviously, it wasn't just the marriage issue that was on the table at the meetings last week. There was also that moment where there was an attempt to get some language acknowledging that the LGBT community in Orlando was targeted by the horrible shooting down there, and that got shot down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that seems very extreme to me in terms of you talk about a party. Maybe it seems like that's a party that's made a decision to really say people who are LGBT are not welcome. That's what I argued. And that's a shame. And there did seem to be a concerted, organized and in some senses, to me, surprisingly resolute commitment to keeping any positive reference to the LGBT community uh, out of the platform. And. That was hurtful to me personally, but, but again, this isn't about my personal agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I happen to be the only openly gay person in the room, and so obviously I had some um, feelings about that. Yeah. But I think way more importantly, the message that it sends to the LGBT community around the country is basically, please don't vote for us. Does that make you afraid that the party will be less um, competitive in future elections? I do think that there are demographic realities in terms of voting, especially young Americans that are worth paying attention to, and I wish my party paid a little bit more attention to those issues. Um, But that's not the reason why it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do uh, because it comes down to the core fundamental principles of our party, and we should seek to constantly be, uh, to to almost evolve our platform and our our policies for uh, the way that our fundamental principles can be applied in today's world. And after last week, any question about you remaining a Republican? I will say that uh, last week was the first time in my 15 years as a Republican that I ever thought about leaving the party. Um, I had a very emotional response to the uh, efforts to keep a positive reference to the LGBT community out of the platform, even in the cases where the LGBT community has been specifically targeted as as victims of of terrorism and oppression. and so that was really hard for me, and uh, I, I did consider, you know, maybe maybe this isn't a party that, that I can continue to be a part of. My mind was changed on that, especially when in the aftermath of my remarks at the committee, so many, so many of the members who didn't support me or my amendment came up to support me. So they couldn't vote with me on marriage issues uh, because of their own very sincerely held views, which which is important to acknowledge as well. But they thanked me for being there, thanked me for uh, being on the committee and a part of the party, and asked me not to leave. And um, that meant a lot to me, just to receive that level of personal support from my colleagues. I only wish that the platform that we put out uh, here in Cleveland to the country as a message to the country communicated that level of personal support that I felt in the room. So the question is, really, someone like Rachel Hoff is sitting there and she is thinking at this point that the party is not far enough along or even beginning to be far enough along for her to even say to other people who are LGBT that, that, that they should vote Republican. But when she says that there are people inside the party who want it to be different when it comes to this area, she's not wrong. And a lot of this breaks down to age. Yeah. 
I talked to some young delegates yesterday on the floor. Some very young delegates. Right. Well, so I talked to this guy from Texas. He's 33 years old. His name is Sean Ireland. And first, so first of all, something that you need to know about the Texas delegation, if you're listening, is that on the first day, everybody from the Texas delegation wears matching outfits. The shirt is, okay, so imagine a long sleeve shirt and the entire right side is navy blue and on the right breast there is a white star and then on the left side of the shirt the sleeve and the lower half of the shirt is red and the top breast and shoulder are white so it is a literally a wearable texas flag all right so sean ireland he's 33 years old and he is definitely a donald trump supporter my sticker says defeat hillary vote trump and he talked a lot about national security But I also asked him about this LGBT question on the platform and about Rachel's attempt to include some LGBT friendly language uh, around, you know, this part of the platform that talks about the Orlando shooting. And what Sean told me is that he thinks it was wrong that this was left, that this particular thing around Orlando was left off the platform. You know what? I would I would I would have if I was on the platform committee, I would have done otherwise. So for him, this is not about marriage. It's about terrorism. And I think that that's more important to LGBT Americans than who gets power of attorney if you are in a if you are in a car wreck. Yeah. And LGBT friendly language is just a a handy summary for this. I mean, this is a party that is really trying to wrestle with its identity. That is what is happening you have a vehemently uh, a vehemently pro-trade party is now being led by a vehemently anti-trade person. You know, you have a guy who talks about how bad the Iraq war was and how happy he was that he was against it, even though he wasn't really against it, but he says that he was in Donald Trump. And then we get down with LGBT stuff. And what's interesting about what, what your tape shows is that these people are still talking like Republicans always talk about. National security is a huge part of this issue. Um, but they do seem aware of the fact that they need to have some kind of some kind of change to make their party great again, to coin a phrase, and they haven't really figured, seem to figure out what that change is yet. But we're watching here in Cleveland another step in the very vocal process of this party trying to figure out what the next thing is. I want to play some other tape for you because I talked to someone who I think many people here would consider to be the future of the party because he is... 18 years old. Well, my name is William Carter. I'm from Georgia, Savannah, Georgia, and I am a delegate to the Republican National Convention, the youngest, according to some. What have people been saying when they see you and they find out that you're a delegate? Oh, good gosh, you're how old? You don't look that old. Are you really that old? And then there's always the, when I was, if I wish when I was your age, I had my mind together like you did, because I'd be in much better places than I would be now. He's also he's also here for Donald Trump. He's a Donald Trump supporter. And he called Trump a 21st century candidate. He's and he's excited about how much Trump has energized the party that he really wants to be a part of. The party's finally moving forward into the 21st century using social media as well as having so many voters turn out and vote for Donald Trump, a man who is of the 21st century in my opinion. So, I, not, I mean, it's not as inclusive as I would like it to be, but it's certainly more inclusive than it has been in the past. I asked him if anything needs to change for the party to grow its support among other young voters. I won't say it necessarily needs to change, but I think the LGBT issues need to be discussed. 
the government has no place to say who you can and who you can't marry, as long as it's a human being. And I believe that a lot of LGBT peoples might support the Republican Party if they could just get past that one issue. Again, using this moment, this Rachel Hoff moment, as a kind of guide through the divide the party has right now, this is a young guy who the party is very happy to have here, okay? The Republican Party operatives are flacking this guy. I mean, he's got, he, he, he had a handler. I mean, he had a guy following him around. That, that's how we ran into him. He, was, he had a guy following him around, gave me his business card, called me every time I do an interview. The, the Republican Party wants to put Will Carter front and center. And I just want to play another piece of tape for you from my conversation with Will. He has uh, some pretty big ambitions for this convention. My number one goal would be to speak from the stage, talk about unity. That would be the number one thing before the whole convention. He wants to go up on stage and speak to everybody by the end of the week. He wants to talk about unity. I got to say, actually, from talking to this kid, you talked to him longer than I did. I talked to him very briefly. But from talking to this kid, I think he should go on stage. It was up to me. I put him up there. Oh, yeah, I totally put him up there. Prime time? Prime time. Why Give not? Give him prime time speaking slot? I mean, listen, it can't get any worse, right? Okay, so you talked to someone who has a slightly different take on what the party needs to do in order to bring more people in and get more people on board with the platform. Yeah, right. That's right. Because the Republican National Convention, uh, everybody is here walking around. And one of the guys who's walking around was our old friend, Dr. Ben Carson. He was briefly a front runner for the Republican nomination eventually dropped out and uh, endorsed Donald Trump. And I asked him about this idea of the platform, and he's a guy who is very broadly supportive of this Republican Party platform that is far more socially conservative than GOP platforms have been in a while. People need to understand why the family is important. People need to understand why faith is important and why we should be free to exercise that according to our conscience. When we begin to explain that to people, explain what true education is, not propaganda, uh, explain to people about the importance of being strong and how that actually prevents war rather than causes war, I think we'll be all right. Ben Carson's idea here with the platform is that the platform itself is the right platform for the GOP. It's the right platform for his party to be stronger and more effective in elections and win more elections. And what he says is that you need to you need to just do a better job explaining the platform to people. That's right. Which sounds like a little, you know, well, if people only knew how good the platform was, they would love the platform. But is there anything to that? This is the main idea that the conservatives who have changed the party platform believe, that the country wants a conservative party they and, and that a conservative party is actually a unifying party that will unify many conservatives across the country no matter what they look like or where they're from, and everyone will come and they'll be very excited because this party will not be an equivocating party. It'll be a conservative party, right? But I think what Ben Carson's saying is really quite fascinating here because even a guy who is so supportive of this move to the right as he is acknowledges the fact that his party has not done the job needed to get other people to understand what they're trying to do. I found that I found that 
tape really great. Maybe because some of the few tape that I got for this thing. <laughs> Meg, you're running around like a crazy person on the floor. It's great. She had the floor pass. She's running around. Um, I like it. I like it on the floor. It's, it's really great on the floor. It's cool right? down there. I mean, it's just fun. It's fun talking to delegates. Like, these are people who are like they care enough about the Republican Party to have jumped through every hoop that you need to jump through in order to become a delegate. They've paid a lot of money to come here and go through something that is for many people a formality to just be on the floor and to say, yay. Yeah, there's something I mean, this is the, it's, there's something really amazing to see people. You know, the cynicism is very strong right now in this country and we're in a room when you're in that convention floor, people who are not cynics, you're in a, you're, you're, there are thousands of them gathered in one uh, arena and you got to talk to so many of them and a lot, and they're so interesting. These people who come here, that kid who is a teenager and wants to figure out something to do and he decides he wants to come here and his dream is to speak as a Republican party convention on prime time. That's an interesting person. Okay. So I want to woman, Carolyn Welsh. Interesting person. Who is Carolyn Welsh? Tell us about her. So Carolyn Welsh is a delegate from Pennsylvania. She is one of just a few dozen women who have been elected sheriff. She's a sheriff. She and I had a, a really interesting conversation about this thing that often comes up when you're talking to people about Donald Trump, which is political correctness. So she's a sheriff. She cares a lot about security. And, uh, and she thinks that like this you know, straight talking Donald Trump is someone who can say the things that need to be said to make America strong on the international stage. I think he's going to stand up to the people that have been pushing us around. I think we haven't had a strong voice nationally and internationally. I think people no longer look at the United States as the strength it used to be under Ronald Reagan and some, even under the first uh, President Bush. I'm amazed you heard about Ronald Reagan on the floor <laughs> of the Republican National Convention. Shocked. I'm shocked. I'm literally, people can't see this because this is radio, but right now I'm on the floor. I've collapsed. So I, I asked her a question about this and I got a little cute about it. And I said, I started by saying, you know, I wasn't alive when Reagan was president. So like, tell me, basically tell me what was so great about Reagan. And like here's that? what she said. I mean, I wasn't no, you're a little girl. Call me a little girl. I said, I'm, I'm not a little girl. I'm a young woman because it's true. And I felt like she wasn't taking me seriously. And then, and then we moved on. I think what happened when you saw uh, Reagan and taking down the wall and the things he said when he spoke, he spoke with authority. He spoke with strength. And then we got to this question of political correctness. Mm -hmm. It seems like we're always being politically correct. We're always trying to not offend somebody. We're always trying to not call something what it is. Ronald Reagan never worried about that. I guess I just want to come back to this thing about political correctness because, I mean, if someone I says, you a little girl. that's yeah. not politically correct. You're a young woman. But I called you a little girl. I use that term affectionately. You're cute. And to me, if you were my granddaughter, I'd call you a cute little girl. That's politically not correct. But then I said a young woman and you said a young woman. Yes. So it's like if somebody tells you, here's a way that you can like show me respect. Right. Wouldn't you just want to do that? Wouldn't absolutely. you? You're absolutely right. And I didn't say called you a little girl or cute or whatever I called you. 
disrespectfully because you are. So here's the thing then, like, what if that could be like an ongoing national conversation? Like, it should be. Like you say something that someone says, I don't like it when you say that about me. And then you say, okay, I'm not gonna say that anymore. Right. Like, I think that falls into the category of being politically correct. Like where political correctness is a response to racism and sexism okay. and things that have been around for a long time. That's true, and you're absolutely right about that. And I think the conversation with that has to happen. But we were talking more about, let's take political correctness to security issues where we're afraid to call people what they are if they're terrorists or if they're uh, fueled by Islamic radical thinking. If we're afraid to say that and name it, how are we going to fight it? So that's a serious issue, a very serious issue. You're very mature for your age, I have to say, <laughs> Meg. I was very impressed by how mature that was. Oh, I'm so mad right now. I can't even say anything. <laughs> so in the end, um, when you were done talking to this person, did you guys sort of walk away with smiles or, were, or, or was, this, was this battle over political correctness that it just sort of sour everything? Let me like play you the tape of how the conversation ended. Well, here's to hoping there are more good conversations on the way to that. Yeah, and you and you're the you are the perfect person in your occupation to really propel that and help that to happen. Good job. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. Now you're out you're local here or what? So, good vibes all around. Well, that's great. I mean, people are here to theoretically, we're here to have these kind of conversations. I think it was kind of funny that you had it. And I think, you know, with a sheriff. I mean, no, but really what we're here for is unity, Evan. Yeah, all about unity, exactly. But uh, but clearly <laughs> unity has not come yet. Do we know if by the end of this convention there will be lots of unity? I can say <laughs> from authority that when it comes to unity in the modern Republican Party, we do not know anything. No one knows anything, in fact. Um, no, we don't know. We We actually do not know. Uh, what's going to happen because we still have speeches coming up from people like Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, who doesn't really like Donald Trump that much. Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas, who hasn't yet formally endorsed Donald Trump yet. This party is still in the middle of a crisis of its identity. And they're putting a lot of bunting on it right now and a lot of good imagery around it. And they're getting the good actors and the good speakers and they're putting it out there. But they just can't seem to prevent it from breaking through. So I don't think we're going to know whether the party is unified or not. But I think we are going to continue to be, to, to be reminded of the areas where it isn't. No One Knows Anything is produced by me, Meg Kramer, with editorial oversight from Katherine Miller and Eleanor Kagan, and production help from Julia Furlan and Antonia Sarahito. Our music is composed by Beauty Pill. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at No One Knows. Subscribe on iTunes to No One Knows Anything or email us at noonknowsanything at buzzfeed.com. We'll be coming to you from the Republican National Convention all week. And next week, we will be in Philadelphia. If you're there, come to our live show. It's on Monday, July 25th. We'll be there with other BuzzFeed podcasters, Tracy Clayton from Another Round, and Katie Natopoulos and Ryan Broderick from Internet Explorer, plus musician Jean Grey. You can buy tickets online at historicalevent.splashthat.com. <laughs>